ಸಹನಾವತು ಸಹನೌನತ್ತು ಸಹ ವೀರ್ಯಂಕರವಾವಹೈ ತೇಜಸ್ವಿನಾವತೀತಮಸ್ತಮಾವಿಶಾವಹೈ ಶಾಂತಿ 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 Anyone have any questions before we begin today's class? Okay. Chapter 2. We're going to cover verse 26 to 28. In chapter 2, Krishna is giving out the highest knowledge to Arjuna, the knowledge of Atman, Self, Brahman. The name generally used is God. That's how the layman knows Atman, Self, Brahman as God. The, the concept of God is very subtle. God is beyond the world. So in this topic, topic two of chapter two, from verse 11 to 30, Krishna is talking to Arjuna about the indestructibility of the embodied, meaning Atman, meaning the Atman. Indestructibility of Atman. Atman is the enlivening factor in all beings. like electricity in gadgets petrol in a car darmesh calls it energy so until verse 25 which we covered last week krishna explained the indestructibility of atman and the process of birth and death from a philosophical view he explained in a philosophical view which arjuna did not understand and maybe some of us too may have found it difficult to understand fully what he was saying lord krishna so from verse 26 to 29 verse 26 to 29 he krishna explains the process of birth and death from a layman's view in a more simpler way so arjuna can understand yeah so today what we're going to go is is similar to the verses we've covered but it's more simpler to understand this process of birth and death the embodiment of atman the indestructibility of atman any questions before we begin today's class right so we'll start with verse 26 ಅಥಚೈನಂ ನಿತ್ಯಾಜಾತಸೆ ನೃತ ತಹಾಹೋ ನೈನ ಸೋಚಿತ್ತುಮರ್ಹಸಿ ಅಥಚೈನಂತ್ಯಾಜಾತಸೆ ನೃತ ಮಹಾಬಾಹೋ ನೈನ ಸೋಚಿತ್ತುಮರ್ಹಸಿ ಬಟ್ 
if you think this is constantly being born and constantly dying, even then, O Mahabaho, you should not grieve like this. But if you think this, this capital T again, meaning the self, Brahman, Atman, is constantly being born and constantly dying, even then, O Mahabaho, you should not grieve like this. So what's this verse is saying that the common people, people without the understanding of the process of birth and death, this knowledge recovering, believes that Atman is born when a person is born and dies when a person dies. This is the common belief by everyone. They only understand what they see. They see a child being born, growing up, and they become old and then they die. Hence, they say, Atman ne shanti male. Atman doesn't need shanti. So, it's that misunderstanding. They don't understand that Atman in that person does not die. Atman has no beginning or end, it's all pervading. Does that make, is that clear? Yeah. They don't understand that Atman never dies. So what happens? We become attached to that person. Attached to that person's personality, their body, their mind, their intellect. My son, my daughter, my father, my mother, my brother, sister, uncle, aunt, my friend. So this mental attachment to our loved ones creates an emotional dependence within us to this person. A mind emotionally attaches itself to, these, to our close ones. So when the close loved one dies, he produces grief. He produces grief. And therefore, we suffer emotionally. We are all intelligent, learned people here. We all understand that birth and death is part of life. Every being born must die. So really, why do we grieve? It's a lack of understanding. That's what creates the grief. Any questions? Arjuna is one of these people who is attached to his kinsmen, his uncle, his cousins, his guru, who are all fighting on the Kaurava's side. And the thought of losing them is causing him a lot of emotional grief. And he's affected by this grief. Affected so much that it stops him from doing his duty. You've got to be, feel sorry for Arjuna because, in fact, not only losing his close ones, but he is the one who has to kill them. So can you imagine what he's going through mentally? Not only does, is he if he's worried about his close, close cousins, uncles, everyone dying, he's the one who has got to kill them. So therefore, Krishna calls Arjuna Mahabaho mighty armed to try and remind him of his 
high stature, his personality of strength and bravery, so that maybe, just maybe, he can lift him out of the state of mind, the state of mind he's in. Sil has a question. It's not a question, but from, from what you said, that it's our emotional attachment mm -hmm. that causes us the grief. Mm -hmm. um, when somebody uh, passes, but we're given, we're given the mind to feel emotion. And, you know, there's, there's an aspect of it where part of it is if we're not, the, the path of devotion, for example, is all about emotion and attachment to God. Mm -hmm. So we, we progress. We're going to be attached to our loved ones, our nearest ones. Okay, hold that thought while I finish this first. Everyone hear that? Yeah, great. So, Seal said we should, we will be attached. Absolutely. So, it's, this is a misunderstanding. This verse does not say you should not grieve for loved ones. Let's be clear about that. The intellect may understand this process of birth and death. We're studying this subject. You understand right now, I tell you, death, and you say, yep, it's part of life. The fact that you're born, you die. You understand that intellectually. But grieving is a process that the emotional mind needs to go through. Your mind is full of emotions, likes and dislikes, love, all the different feelings. But what it's saying is, once you understand this process of birth and death, you're not taken over by the grief. Not overtaken by the grief permanently. You're able to get back to some normality and live your life normally again quickly. So you should grieve. We should not be affected by the grief. This knowledge removes grief. Yeah. Or reduces grief, depending on how much knowledge you have. So you see the difference. Absolutely, the mind has to grieve. But it should not be affected by that grief. Does that make sense? Bhattiban? Does that make sense? You understand birth and death is part of process of life. Do not be affected by the grief. That's what he's saying. Is that okay? Through knowledge, you become less and less affected. That's why some people call us Vedantians as cold heartless, without feelings. Why? Because we may not show the same emotions as normal people. It is not that we don't feel. We do feel. But we don't become emotional. That's the difference. We don't let the emotions take over our personality. Because we understand this process of birth and death. We understand the indestructibility of Atman. 
Any questions? Be more clearer once we finish the next couple of verses. Sittle's not happy with me. <laughs> Nilam. I haven't got a question, but I just wanted to share. So my, um, sadly, my two friends, um, they lost their mum last week. But I've got to say, like, because their mum, like, she was living the path of the Gita, of what it teaches. And so although they, they're feeling that grief and they have their moments, all the, you know, like the evening prayers and the, the funeral, it's, it all went in a very different way because they're, de they're dealing with it with this knowledge Absolutely. and wisdom. And so it's not that they haven't had moments of grief or sadness or tears, but it's like there's been this whole different energy that's that's moved. And I think the mum has helped with that, but also with them. So I just wanted to share that because I think the timing is quite um, pertinent. Yeah. See, um, this is exactly what we mean. We have to grieve. Is it 13 days? Yeah, in our Hindu, um, 13, 14 days. In, in our Hindu culture, it says you should grieve for 13, 14 days. You should recite the Gita. Why? Because it helps you get over that grief. And what is Gita teaching us? It's giving us knowledge. So knowledge removes that grief. Yeah. Lord Krishna gives out this knowledge to reduce our grief. So through knowledge and understanding, that grief process, 12, 13 days, we're able to get over it to a certain extent, depending on our mental attachment. Yeah. It allows you to find that peace that calmness. And that's what it does. Any questions? Nilam, could you read? Sorry, it's not Nilam, it's Vanita, uh, sorry. Atman, the self, is eternal and immutable. It, it has neither a beginning nor an end. Nevertheless, the layman believes that Atman is born when beings are born and dies when they die. He lacks a deeper penetration into the workings of life. Direct perception alone determines his vision of birth, death and life. He perceives the world as nothing but a series of births and deaths that nothing, including people, exist before birth or after death. Because of the unintelligent attachment to certain people, he experiences grief at, the, at their death. He binds himself mentally to particular individuals in what is called a preferential relationship. Thereafter, he finds himself emotionally dependent on them. The parting, or even the thought of parting from them, produces in them grief, in him grief. Arjuna suffers from such a predicament. He has an attachment to his relatives and friends. His own unintelligent relationships bind him. The thought of parting from them has brought him immense grief. Krishna appeals to him to understand that he should not grieve at inventable death. He addresses Arjuna as Mahabaho, which means mighty armed. This reminds him of his strength and below. It gives a physio physiological prop to his depressed state of mind. Thank you. 
Any questions? So it says we covered. So birth and death is part of life. I grieve. Verse 27. Jatasya hi druvum rityu druvam janma mritasya cha tasmada parihariyete natvam sochittu marhasi jatasya hi druvum rityu druvam janma mritasya cha Tasmada parihariyete natvam sochittumarhasi. Certain indeed is death for the born, and certain is birth for the dead. Therefore, you should not grieve over the inevitable. What does that mean? What does that mean? Certain indeed is death for the born and certain is birth for the death. Therefore, you should not grieve over the inevitable. Who'd like to explain what that means? Yeah, Manita. So if you, if you are born, you know you have to die because that is something that we all know. Um, mm -hmm. But the cycle carries on, we know, we, that's what we have to understand, that's what we need to realize, that once somebody does die, they will come back. Perfect, thank you. This world that we live in, if you assess it correctly, you will realize that is an expression of birth, death and maintenance. This is the world. Everything in the world follows this rule. Because this is how the world has been created. Birth, death, maintenance. We have briefly covered this before. Morning changes to afternoon, with changes to night. In this way, the day is maintained. Yeah. Summer changes to autumn. Autumn changes to winter with changes to spring, and in these changes, the seasons and the year is maintained. Baby is born, becomes a child, becomes a teenager, becomes an adult, changing to an old person, and then death. In this way, the chain of birth and death is maintained. This is the world. And in our Hindu culture, they knew this. Hence, they created three gods to represent this phenomena. The three gods were Lord Brahma, the god of creation. Lord Shiva, the god of destruction. Lord Vishnu, the god of maintenance. These three gods represent this birth, this, uh, birth death and maintenance. Therefore, all life is a series of birth and death. When one is born, well, one will eventually die. And that's a fact. Anyone disagree? And this is how everything in the world functions. Fact of life. And this is the world. 
We can't change it. This is how the world functions. Any questions? So Brahma, Vishnu, Mahesh represents these three powers. Nilam, could you please read the first paragraph? Yeah. Just the first paragraph, yeah. Birth and death are an inevitable part of life. Both philosopher and layman agree on this point. Vedanta, the ultimate philosophy of the ancient rishis, sages of India, further explains that the world itself is merely an expression of birth, death, and maintenance. Infancy, childhood, youth, manhood, and old age form a continuous chain of births and deaths. The preceding state passes away, yielding place to the succeeding state. In these continuous changes, the individual is maintained. Similarly, morning, noon, evening, and night go through the chain of birth and death to maintain the day. So it is with everything in this world. Three Hindu gods personify these three expressions of the world. Lord Brahma is the god of creation. Lord Shiva, the god of destruction. Lord Vishnu, the god of maintenance. With this understanding of the fundamental nature of life and the world, how can anyone grieve over the inevitable? So, if one assesses this, one understands this, then what reason is there to grieve? Krishna is saying, if this is the world, the way the world is, why grieve? See, why does one grieve? In fact, why does anyone suffer in life? Any idea? Why does anyone suffer in life? Is, is it because of no understanding for the process? Thank you, Vijaybhai. Lack of understanding. Lack of assessment. What is the world made of? What is the world made of? Opposites. Pairs. Who said that? Pairs of opposites. The world is made of pairs of opposites. People don't understand this. Pairs of opposite opposites means heat and cold, profit and loss, tall and short, birth and death. The intellect does not understand this. And therefore, does not make the right assessment. So what happens? You don't make the right assessment. The mind pitches up all sorts of expectations. Those expectations are not met. And when they're not met, the mind is unprepared to deal with this inevitability. And the result is we suffer. I'll give you some examples. So the world is made of pairs of opposites. We don't understand that. We pitch up high expectations. They're not met. Mind doesn't know how to deal with it. Suffer. So unreasonable expectations in life. Lack, lack of understanding of the world. People around you. 
and only one profit. So what happens when you make a loss? You suffer. Why did I lose? Because profit goes hand in hand with loss. Sometimes you make profit, sometimes you make losses. This is the nature of business. This is the nature of the world. Summer is hot, winter is cold. We all know that. In summer you say it's too hot, in the winter you say it's too cold, and you suffer. Why? Wrong assessment. Husband comes home from work. Every day for the first hour, he's angry, stressed out. Once he has a drink, he's fine after that. So rather than understanding this, you're expecting to be fine as soon as he gets home. Nikisha, you start arguing. You're always like this when you come from work. Why are you always angry, stressed out? I've been home all day cooking, cleaning. All you do is get angry. What happens? Argument. Husband is more stressed. You are also more stressed. You're also now stressed and upset. Now you come to this class. You heard what he said. You now understand you need to assess all situations. What do you do tomorrow when your husband comes home? Anyone? What do you do? Nikisha, what do you do? Give him the drink straight away. Absolutely. Have a Shut drink ready. <laughs> Have a drink ready. When he comes from work, give him the drink. Leave him on his own for half an hour. Come back to him later. Darling, shall we have dinner? Yes, correct assessment. So wrong assessment, you suffer. I have to give male examples because it's mainly female here now. You, you. <laughs> wife is always nagging. Understand, this is my wife's nature. You accept her for who she is. The problem starts when you expect her to behave differently from her nature. Wrong assessment. In fact, you make the right assessment. When she doesn't nag, you must think, I hope she's okay. Darling, are you okay? Are you not feeling well? You're awfully quiet. Right assessment. No stress. More important, you're an unselfish person. You think everyone is unselfish. You automatically think that everyone is like you. You're unselfish, everyone must be unselfish. And when they're not, you suffer. Why? Wrong assessment. I do so much, he doesn't do anything. You have to understand, I am unselfish. He is selfish. Right assessment. So this is life. You have to assess the world and everything in it. Then you contact it accordingly, because if you don't, only you will suffer. Um, Arunabhan, you had a question? No, it's just gonna be flippant and say, what if you didn't like the person drinking in the first place? Whatever needs to be done. I just gave that example. 
but whatever it takes, but you need to leave him alone. That's the point. What we're saying is the right assessment. Any questions? Think about it. Assess the person's nature, assess your boss's nature, your colleague's nature, your environment you live in. Then what's the problem? It's lack of assessment is the problem. This is life. You have to assess the world, everything in it. Contact it accordingly, because if you don't, you'll suffer. Swami Ramatita says, All grumbling is tantamount to, oh, why is the lily not an oak? All grumbling is tantamount to, oh, why is the lily not an oak? What is a lily? What is a lily? Flower. Flower. What is an oak? A tree. Large tree. So all you're complaining in life is you want something to be what it is not. That's it. So birth and death is part of life. Why grieve? Krishna is explaining to Arjuna in this way, you see? We benefit from this explanation. Any questions? Shilabin, right assessment, no stress. Nilam, can you read the paragraphs? Despite this irrefutable truth of life, people grieve over death. In fact, people often grieve over events and experiences less severe than death. You experience grief not because of external factors, but because of the unpreparedness of your mind to face them. Unending hopes and expectations infest your mind. They render your mind incapable of facing the experiences of life with composure. This is caused by either the lack of assessment or the wrong assessment of people, the environments and situations that confront you. You will have to assess, judge, evaluate rightly the types of people you associate with, the environments in which you live and the situations you face. Whenever your intellect fails to make this fundamental effort, your mind pitches up all sorts of demands. Your expectations from people and the world become unreasonable. And when you do not get what you demand, you are disappointed. Your mind becomes disturbed. You worry. You suffer. A typical example of this mental malady is a husband complaining of a nagging wife or a wife complaining of a hysterical husband. Others often complain of the weather. People grumble all year round about heat in the summer, cold in the winter and rains in monsoon. All such grumblings arise out of either their failure to assess or their wrong assessment of the people they contact or of the environment around them. If a husband understands the true nature of his wife and expects her to function according to her nature rather than the way he would like her to function, he would have no false expectations, no sore disappointments and no consequent stress in life. Why can't people accept that the summer will be hot and the winter will be cold? As Swami Ramadita quotes, all grumbling is tantamount to 
oh, why is the lily not an oak? The above formula for a practical way of life based on a realistic viewpoint is the message in the present verse. Birth and death are inevitable in life. Why grieve over them? Birth and death are inevitable parts of life. Why grieve over them? So this verse, if you understand it, Relieve all your stress in life. Makes your relationship better with your partner, your siblings, your parents, your boss. This is all you need to know. No more stress. Any questions? So, Learn this, understand this. It'll help you in times when you're stressed out or before you get stressed. It'll stop you from getting stressed out. Verse 28. <laughs> Tatrakapari Devana Avyakta Dini Bhutani Vyakta Madhyani Bharata Avyakta Nidananyeva Tatrakapari Devana Beings are unmanifest in their origin manifest in their middle, unmanifest again in their end. O Bharata, what is there to grieve about? Beings unmanifest in their origin, manifest in their middle, unmanifest again in their end. O Bharata, what is there to grieve about? So this verse is very interesting actually. Some metaphors given about birth and death says, imagine ocean. The ocean is Brahman. Yeah, Atlantic Ocean, for example. The ocean is Brahman. God. The surface of this, of the ocean is this world where everything is going on. Let's imagine. All beings, all life are the individual different ways. What happens? Waves come from the ocean, take shape, live on the surface of the ocean for a short time, then go back to the ocean. Isn't that what happens, the waves? They come from the ocean, live on the surface of the ocean for a short time, and then go back to the ocean. So the waves come from the unmanifest, from the unmanifest state, becomes manifest, and then go back to the unmanifest state. Does that make sense, everyone? Similarly, beings arise from the unmanifest state, meaning they are born, they live their lives for a short period, manifest state, and then die, go back to the unmanifest state. Right now, 
We are all in the manifest state, hopefully. We're all different shapes and sizes, like different ways. We all have different natures. Big waves, small waves, different shapes, different colors. This is all us beings. And this cycle keeps repeating itself. And manifest, arise, manifest, back into unmanifest. hundred years ago, none of us were here. We're all in the unmanifest state. Is that clear? Does, it, does that make sense? So Matthew Arnold says, and, he, and, he, and, he, and um, this explains it perfectly. Matthew Arnold says, life is an arrow shot from darkness that flutters in the light for a while and vanishes back to darkness. Life is an arrow shot from darkness that flutters in the light for a while and vanishes back to darkness. Meaning we have all come from darkness. Meaning we don't know where from. None of us know where we come from. We're all fluttering the light for a short period right now. Then we'll go back to darkness, the unknown. The whole thing is a mystery. No one knows. Any questions? Krishna is explaining the phenomenon of life and death. This is how it is. Everyone understand the um, example? Matthew Arnold. Beautifully put. Any questions? Meghna, understand? Make sense? So, we grieve. Why do we grieve? So I had a thought. It came to me when I was doing, preparing for this class. I remember once we went into town, and Sit will remember this, I bought this handmade picture. And there's a picture of Earth. And, it was, and the picture of Earth, it was surrounded by bars, meaning Earth was in a cage. Some of you may have seen this picture. It shows the picture of Earth in a cage. So it got me thinking. Well, when I was studying this verse, we all want to live as long as we can. We grieve when someone passes away. Imagine if this earth was a giant prison. We're all here serving our time. How would you feel then if someone died? Would you grieve for that person? Someone dies in their 20s. Lucky guy. He's out of prison. Someone is 80 years old, still alive, suffering from dementia, wheelchair bound. Poor guy. He must have done something really bad. Imagine if this was a prison. And the authorities are making new medicine to keep us alive longer in this prison. NHS, keeping us alive as long as we can so we don't get out of prison. 
See, if you really evaluate life, does everyone understand the example? Don't know how it came to me, but it came to me. But if you really evaluate life, it is like being in prison, if you think about it. We're constantly going through ups and downs. Life is unpredictable. We're full of desires, attachment, pain and grief. Life is so delicate. We have no control over it. We're worried constantly about death. There are no guarantees. What's the difference? We're like walking on eggshells every day. So this is the phenomenon of the world. We don't know where we came from. We don't know why we are here. We don't know where we are going. When we die, it could be a much better place we are going to. So we are all in ignorance. So therefore, Arjuna, it is meaningless to grieve over birth and death or any of these states. Why grieve? Any questions? We don't know. We all could be in a prison. But it just drives it home that we actually don't know anything. We have this limited intellect, this mind, and we think we know everything. We have bouts of happiness and we think we're happy, but majority of the time we're unhappy. We get used to that unhappiness, that's the problem. When we leave here, who knows? Permanent happiness could be around the corner. Anita. The ocean provides a classic metaphor for the manifestation of the world out of Brahman. The vast ocean represents the supreme reality, the all-pervading Brahman. The world is the disturbance on the surface of the ocean, the beings in the world, the individual waves. Waves arise and then merge back into the ocean. They arise out of the unmanifested into the manifest one and then revert back to the unmanifest. Similarly, beings are born. They live their lives and then die. Out of the unmanifest state, they are born. Until death, they remain manifest, upon which they return to the unmanifest conditions. condition. All beings presently living in the world are in the manifest state. The world, therefore, is a mere progression from the unmanifest to the manifest and back again. Matthew Arnold says, life is an arrow shot from darkness, flutters in the light for a while and vanishes back to darkness. Though we can clearly see the cycle of the manifest 
and the unmanifest. None knows where, when, or why the cycle began. Steep in such ignorance, it is meaningless to grieve over the passing of either the manifest or the unmanifest state. The west coast of India goes through a wet spell of monsoon for three months, year after year. Before the onset of the monsoon, the, the hills appear brown with dry or no vegetation at all. However, with the first few showers, a green mantle covers the whole range of hills. Again, after the rains subside, the landscape turns arid and barren. The phenomenon repeats itself endlessly from the unmanifest to the manifest and again back to the unmanifest. So it is with life. What is there to grieve about? about? There we have it. Any questions? I don't want to take the next verse because it's quite deep. And um, I think uh, these three verses are enough of chapter two at a time because you know they're quite sort of deep. From chapter three, we'll be able to take more verses uh, because they're more lighter. So if anyone has any questions about what we've covered today or any topics they want to talk about, then uh, we've, we've got about 10 minutes. or if you've had enough. So what to take away from class today? Right assessment. Assess everything in life. Jill, are you okay? Any, any questions? No, she's happy. Luna Ben, you okay? Good. Okay, well, we'll we've got a lot to take in today. Um, Tuesday group discussion. Anybody has any questions on today's class or any classes? We can discuss it like a QA. Um, so, whoever wants to join, that'll be Tuesday. Anyone has a question, please post it. Thank you for joining us today. Have a lovely day.